Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and a psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. Tada, no digas malas palabras. Okay, Bella. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. And I'm David Pizarro from Cornell University. You. You. What have I done? As you can tell from that clip, or probably can't tell from that clip, because I don't know if it was completely clear, uh, we are re-recording our not-so-tragically-lost uh, episode, part two of Burning Bridges. Not-so-tragically-lost, because it kind of sucked. It blew. It was weak. So I think we blew our load a little early on the first two, and by the time we got to the third one, we were just a little depleted. But now we're refreshed. We're ready to get back to bitching. Didn't take much, I guess. Uh, a couple of things I want to bring up first. Well, should we put this off for another time? Well, let me say. Yeah, well, let me say professor. first of all uh, to look forward to our next episode, which will this episode will be some good old fashioned Tamler and Dave talking shit. Next episode, we got a new guest coming on, uh, Molly Crockett, who's a a neuroscientist, cognitive neuroscientist, uh, who will who will be joining us to talk about brains. Hopefully, we can. She actually has a really good TED Talk. Uh, check it out in, in advance. Oh, so this is just going to be you guys reminiscing about your TED well, Talks? Her, well, her TED Talk is, has more views than mine, so you can give me all kinds of shit about that. Oh, yeah. Um, I'll be in a great I'm position. Like the- <laughs> Although I will say that uh, from this podcast, uh, my TED Talk number – TEDx Talk, sorry. I know. Yeah, you let me clarify. No, mine was TEDx as well, as was Molly's. They just got right. promoted to the TED website, right? So we're not right. we're not at right. the level of douchebag. We've but not Molly didn't to... do that while at the didn't have that happen while her head was up Dan Ariely's ass like you did. Uh, I, I don't know. I, know. I don't know whose 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 ass she kissed to get on it. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it was it was merit. Maybe it was a meritocracy. By the way, in that. case you haven't noticed from her name and the pronoun we've been using to describe her, Molly Crockett is a woman. And will be our first woman that we've ever had on the podcast for our twentieth episode. I don't encode gender. No, I'm I like know. I'm like the, colorblind the, for gender. How, wait, what, what would you call that? You, <laughs> uh, penis blind, <laughs> genital blind. That genital. has come back to haunt you a few times. Your, 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 your penis blindness. 
do we want to talk about this Rochester professor who's who thinks it's okay to rape passed Here, out girls? Here's why I think that that maybe we should save it because I think that there is a there there is a, a to- an entire podcast to be had about maybe some of these these kinds of topics like these counterintuitive like like morally inflammatory. But he was this isn't a reductio ad absurdum. He actually no. thinks it's okay to rape passed out girls right so so he his claim is that uh suppose that you get raped and you don't remember it at all and you don't feel any pain so so there's no say harm so to speak in, in any tangible sense that is that is had nobody alerted you that to the fact that you got raped you didn't feel it you didn't so for instance we may have been abducted by aliens and probed we and we don't know um and so the question is if you never find out and you don't feel any ill effects from that is it harm? And should we care that much? Uh, but he got he, the, the inflammatory part, I think, of this article is that he's an economist. And so he, he really wants to do a cost benefit analysis. So so he tosses in there not just the argument that she wasn't really harmed, but that like they reaped some rewards from I this. Know. That's a, yeah. Why, and it's like, why shouldn't we why should we deny them? And like that, that you know, it's somehow like we're being what are, we're, we're being buzzkills. Yeah, for for uh, denying them the pleasure that you would get from raping yeah. a passed out woman. So, he yeah. also actually references the Steubenville rape case, which I actually right. don't know that much about. But he he says the Steubenville rape victim, according to all the accounts I've read, was not even aware that she'd been sex- sexually assaulted until she yeah. learned about it from the internet some days later. Uh, you know, look, I'm all for sort of these counterintuitive uh, moral arguments and, and you know, nothing is sacred kind of attitude. But but in the in the Steubenville case, like she learned about it from pictures of people assaulting her while she was passed out. Now, if that's not if that's not tangible harm. I don't know. Well, of course. Yeah. Right. I think I don't know what the point was of him bringing that up, except, you know, clearly this is a guy that likes to shock people and get some fun out of that, I guess, which you, you and I can relate to. There does seem like something's up with the, <laughs> with this, though. I just choked on my Diet Coke while thinking about this guy's argument. I mean, I don't know. Oh, because you're so sensitive. Because I so am. Offend- I'm not, you have I'm such not. delicate I mean, sensibility. Well, part of it is that we like and this is stupid stupid because it shouldn't matter <clears throat> but i have a daughter and i can't help but think about somebody raping her yeah. and it makes me like all kinds of pissed off now it shouldn't really matter this is actually something that i that, what do you mean that, it shouldn't matter if somebody rapes your daughter no no, no it shouldn't matter that i'm more sensitive it, it shouldn't matter that i have a daughter right it, it should i should be just equally incensed at the thought of this happening to any human being you know here let me give you an example that is it a senator a republican senator who came out in favor of gay marriage because his son is gay yeah, for all of the good that comes from this, like which is like, okay, I'm, I'm glad that he's 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 in favor of gay marriage. Now. Really, your son—that's the only fucking reason—is that like the millions and millions of of people who might have yeah, suffered. He's just being honest. He's just being honest. <clears throat> Look, like, you okay, could be honest and wrong. I finally realized the. What do you mean wrong? He I mean, he was you... saying why he came. He, he was describing why I just what think made him change his mind. You just don't he think it's lie. justified. What he should, he should lie. He yeah. should lie. In this case, he should say, my son is one of many millions of people who have been harmed by this. 
And unfortunately, it took me that it took me to have a conversation with my son to realize that millions of people are are hurting. Not like, but that is what it is. It's that you come out. The reason you start to recognize that certain acts of discrimination are wrong is when it becomes tangible and real to you, and when your empathy gets triggered <laughs> in a way that it can't get triggered when you're just thinking about these things in the abstract. It can. My point is that it can get triggered, not in the same vivid way. Like for you, it really? was easy because you – to be for pro-gay marriage because you no, have, any, first it, of all, you're practically if it, bisexual. If anything, if anything, it's just knowing you. <laughs> no, it's – you know what it's like? It's So I was raised around a lot of religious people, right, who, who really believed in the inherent justice and benevolence of God. And then uh, all of a sudden they would have sort of this crisis of faith, like when their grandma died of cancer. And they'd be like, I can't believe this is happening to my family. And I'm like, really? Really? That's what made you question like the problem of evil? Like six million Jews in the Holocaust didn't quite get that the empathy juices flowing. It had to be your grandma who lived till she was 90 for you to like... <laughs> But I that's understand just, that's, a, but that's just how human nature works. It's like, what are you protesting? Are you it protesting doesn't, it God? It doesn't have for, to work that way for creating human beings this way. It, it does, doesn't though. Ha- no, it does, it does it, not it have to, to work for that the way. majority of the human race. Maybe not no. for Jesus-like figures uh, like you take yourself to be, <laughs> but for most people, they have to actually get a connection. That's why showing videos and photos of what goes on in factory farms is worth more than. And we haven't had videos. And we haven't had like videos and photos of people like suffering and being killed and tortured and maimed and raped and and gay people being discriminated against. Like it took your kid. Come on, man. The information is out there. Like you're just just ignoring it. You're ignoring it. You need John Height needs to. You're ignoring (laughs) it. John Height needs to come here and give you a lecture about understanding another person's point of view. So are you defending it? Like are you saying – like first of all, we can rise against this. Like we can rise above this. Like you don't need to care – you can care about, say, the conditions of Chinese factory workers without having a Chinese kid who worked in the factory. That's just stupidity for you to say that it's not like true that we can care I, about that. I agree that you can, but we only have so much morality in us. And really, you think it's majority... like you, you, you think it's like a little fountain that gets like like we're playing a video game and like his meter on morality was running low because of all the good things that he had been doing. Like he's in a public, he's making policy. He's like in the he's his job is to do things like like I'm not think defending about the guy. I'm just saying that it's hypocritical for people to get all worked up like you. So you're so you're heart, you're like, against gay marriage. Speak, like I, I like I'm surprised you didn't post on Facebook something like really self righteous about that guy doing it because that's know. really what this is about. You I'm want not, to prove your superiority even to people who have come to the right opinion. You still want to prove your superiority over them. There's not shit to prove. It's just that when you point out that people are dumb, you say it in 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 a different way. You put, you find a Woody Allen movie that like makes the point for you, right? Like, so, and that way you you can wash your hands of this. Condemning somebody. Oh yeah, because being... you're taking a huge risk as a member of the academic community condemning a Republican senator. Yeah, no, that's a. Big brave <laughs> listen, stand you're taking. Listen, it's just a good thing that you're not living in Nazi Germany because you would have been like, "Hey, look, man, these guys didn't know any Jews." Like, they, I, <laughs> that's human nature, man. That's, <laughs> that's so low. 
<laughs> Look, man, I hold some people to a higher standard, and I hold a U.S. senator who's in charge of making policy that influences millions of people to maybe take the time and read a fucking article from somebody's first-person perspective or listen you know, to the pleas of, like, thousands of people who might be on TV or watch a fucking Lifetime movie of the week and be moved like a normal human being would and not say, like, you know what? It's true. My son just told me. Come on. Right? All right. Well, two things. First of all, don't say that somebody should watch a lifetime. <laughs> well, whatever it takes. Like, you're like, <laughs> don't wait. You, you shouldn't wish that on anyone. <laughs> Starring Mer- <laughs> Meredith Baxter Burney, I'm sure, has made some touching movies <laughs> about sure this very is. topic. <laughs> no. There's a no. There's a hundred percent. I can say that without doing any research, without touching the computer to look up the internet. That <laughs> she has definitely done that. But uh, the second thing is, you hold American politicians to a higher standard. Excuse me for having some expectations. Let me uh, let me quote Woody Allen again, <laughs> <laughs> who had a good line about uh, he's a politician. Uh, that's one notch below child molester. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, I, let's just hope that you're against rape even if your daughter isn't raped. That's all I'm saying. I am. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, this whole thing started because doesn't I, it, I think Doesn't it seem stupid, it. though, for somebody to say, like, you know what? Until my daughter got raped, I was like, eh, eh. That would be stupid because, no. you know, they've probably seen the accused. <laughs> uh, but speaking on this issue of having daughters, I was out with crawfish with my daughter and my wife over the weekend place. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever had crawfish. You're probably – but you have hairy. to like – you, the, the, the way you eat it is you, you, you break it open first. You suck out the guts of the crawfish juices. They do it really spicy, good juices, and you sort of suck out the – the guts of it, not the, the all the guts, but the juices from the guts, and then you go to the meat. So then, so we're eating crawfish. My daughter loves it; she's all over it, you know. And and then she sees somebody with a t-shirt, and she says, "Oh, hey, can I get that t-shirt?" And I said, "Oh, sure," you know, like what well, what t-shirt? It says, "Shut up and suck it." <laughs> So did you explain to her why she couldn't get it, or did you just buy it? So so Jen and I just look at each other, and 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 I say something like, "No, we're pro- we're not going to get you that T-shirt." But we- then we just laugh for ten minutes, and she's just saying like, "What? What? What? What?" <laughs> and then she goes, and this is the worst part. She goes, "Oh," and I was yeah. like, "No, no, no, it's not that." Yeah, I I, got, I recently was in the position of having to my my family was visiting my my dad as saintly as he is likes to tell the occasional dirty joke like yeah. by occasional I mean all the time and right. um, <clears throat> like Dan Ariely so, <laughs> you don't edit. Yeah. <laughs> not not racist yeah. um and uh, so he tells a joke and and my daughter and I'm laughing and my daughter's like it's not funny <laughs> and I'm like it was a double entendre about some sexual stuff and I was like no yeah it was it was you just don't get it she's like no it wasn't I was like uh, I don't want to explain it to you but trust me one day you'll realize how funny that joke is and it's getting to the point where like I'm like why, should I be open and explain things to her because I kind of want her to know why it's funny and but, better to come from you than yeah. you know hearing it from some kid at school especially a Canadian school <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Those are tough issues. All right, let's get to our list. 
So, um, so let's let's burn some bridges. Let's burn some bridges. Did you, was there any fallout from your burning bridges last time? No, I mean, so let's let's go through our our last two. My number three was philosophical writing, and right, that was like low hanging fruit. That's like being against rape, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's like being a Democrat uh, in in a, in a university. But the second one was the knowledge debate. That was one I could have gotten some shit on, like, oh, what could knowledge be? Like, is this knowledge? You know, these counterexamples, the Gettier cases. Now you were defending it. You you thought it's a hugely important, really like, crucial central, question central. whether uh, like a Gettier case counts as knowledge or something like that. That like a lot of the future of like nations will stand or fall depending on the answer to that question. Right. So maybe that sort of took some of the heat off of me because <laughs> they thought like I was just playing the foil to the truth. Right. When in reality, you just I, I, yeah. I just think that you don't understand it. But anyway, you know. <laughs> so those were my first two. What were what were yours? Do you even remember? Yeah, yeah. Mine were uh, one of them was on uh, sort of the the dual process, the sort of the fetishizing of the. There are really two fetishes. Like one is the dual process account and how I think that it's it's making us miss out on a lot of what's important about uh, psychology. Another one was the worship of the brain and how 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 there's this. <clears throat> I, I think fairly naive view by many people, maybe more among lay audiences, but also among many psychologists that, that uh, well, we have some puzzles about psychology, but when, once we really get to know the brain, like it will, it will clear up all that confusion. Um, and I got some, I got some actually good feedback from, from a, a good friend of mine who's a graduate student at University of Minnesota who, who mounted a defense of the brain and brain research. And you know, I, defense I, of the brain. <laughs> defense of the brain. Like if it weren't, if it I weren't for think brains, you need to do that. <laughs> if it weren't for brains, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here. We'd yeah. be a lot stupider. And you know, there are there are cases in which in which knowing about the brain really does make a difference. Say, for instance, in in developing therapies that might that might influence behavior directly by by learning about the brain. Um, and there are some interesting cases in which the brain can shed light on psychological research. But I, I still maintain my my general view that it's way overblown. That yeah, well, are, I mean, that's the thing is that it's way overblown. Yeah, that was your point, right? Yeah. Not that there's no potentially interesting right. uh, line. I do border on that, though. I do border on that claim. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like... <laughs> all, right. Uh, all right, so should we do our number ones? Or should we just take a break? And Let's take a break two? now. The bridge is over, the bridge is over. Bye bye bye. The bridge is over, the bridge is over. Hey, 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 the bridge is over, the bridge is over. Bye bye bye. The bridge is over, the bridge is over. You see me coming in the dance with the slippers and see ya. Down with the sound called BDP. If you want to join the crew, well, you must see me. You can't sound like Shan or the one Marley. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. As you can tell from that clip, if we had a clip, <laughs> if we did not have a clip, then disregard what I'm saying. Right, we are doing our burning bridges, uh, uh, part two episode, and in this episode, we are going to list the thing we hate most about our own field and the thing we hate most about uh, the field of our podcast. <laughs> God, that's the most convoluted fucking way of saying. That. Like, why is that? How how hard was that to describe? <laughs> that and was it was uh, unwieldy. It was uh, I, all sorts I, of unwieldy. Was, uh, yeah, I congratulate yeah. you for for including somehow 
the pain of philosophical writing in actual spoken word. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Should I do my number one first? Do you yeah, want me go to go? It. So my number one, I said my number two was the knowledge debate, this whole debate over whether such and such counts as knowledge uh, and then, you know, coming up with necessary and sufficient conditions for what counts as knowledge uh, when something is an instance of knowledge. Uh, and my number one sort of grows out of that. It's what I would call the dehumanization of philosophy that comes from this relentless relentless need to systematize everything, uh, to come up with theories for everything, to give these necessary and sufficient conditions for when X, whatever, whenever your, whatever your concept is, uh, when it obtains. I mean, just the fucking word obtain. Does this obtain? Like, who, who says that? Whoever says obtain? But if this obtains, that obtains. Now, are you, are you going to mount a defense for, like, some sort of organic, like, understanding of, it? like, like I, some, I, some really soft, super soft European version of philosophy? That's no. Kind of, okay. It's, it's, it's even worse than that. <laughs> I was giving a talk where I was saying what I'm about to say, but in the context of the moral responsibility debate. And uh, someone comes up to me and, and says, you know what your approach reminds me of is the ethics of care. Oh, uh, the, the, the feminist philosophers. Oh, right. God. And, you know, I, this has been in the back of my mind that, that I'm being drawn towards their critique of analytic philosophy because have you um, been to a doctor. I'm worried about what? you. Have you been to a doctor? I don't mean to derail you, but Why? generally in, mid, in middle age, there's a drop in testosterone. And it's, <laughs> it sounds like you've lost all rigor from what you're about to say. So are you saying that just because I might have some opinions that are along the lines of I sh- what I shouldn't feminist have inter- philosophers I- have argued that I have a drop in testosterone? No, I, have, I, should, wow. I shouldn't have interrupted you. Please. You hate women. <laughs> Look, I go where the truth takes me. If it takes me to <laughs> feminist philosophy, it takes me there. What am I going to do? But my testosterone is fine as far as I know. So, so, but this is what I hate, okay? And I think, and I'm, and I'm against it both because it's really boring and it makes people who might normally be interested in philosophy not like it. Uh, but I think that there are real moral problems with this kind of approach as well. The first one, and I said this in our tragically or not so tragically lost episode, that it turns philosophers into busybodies. It turns them into sticking their nose into everyone else's shit where uh, they should just mind their own fucking business. And I'll give you a great example because it comes from the debate that I work on, moral responsibility and blame and, and praise and when it's deserved and when it's not. There's this new sort of fetish now, which is to come up with a theory for when gratitude or resentment is appropriate. So they want necessary and sufficient conditions for appropriateness of gratitude, appropriateness of resentment. So think about what that makes you do. It makes you, somebody's being grateful for, let's say, I don't know, saving them from the Nazis, hiding them out in their house like the Danish people did. Uh, And I swear to God, Saul Smolensky actually argued this, that gratitude in that situation, if determinism is true, if people aren't the ultimate cause of themselves, if they didn't create themselves, if they didn't pull themselves out of the swamps of nothingness, 
that gratitude is dubious or uh, resentment towards the Nazis would be inappropriate. And I argued this, so don't, I'm not being on a superiority high horse thing here. Like, that was like my first whole part of my career. I argued, you know, like resentment is, I, I didn't say that about just, gratitude. Just because you argued it doesn't mean you're not on a high horse, but let's go. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> I thought that was a way of insulating myself a little bit. Uh, but uh, this idea that we can go in and tell people who are feel deeply personally about something like either resentment or gratitude that this emotion isn't appropriate because it doesn't meet our theory. It doesn't meet the appropriateness conditions of our theory of the reactive attitudes and moral responsibility. That turns you into a busybody. That turns you into one of these people who's sitting around their house and worrying about how other people are raising their kids. But okay, but what's the concern here? Like, uh, like surely it's it's not as if as if uh, the the goal of this is to to go up to somebody who's expressing gratitude uh, for being hidden from the Nazis and say you're wrong. But there seems to be some worth in in analyzing that whole concept of of, of gratitude and 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 the appropriate conditions for saying that somebody, I mean, you're sort of doing that. I assume you have some positive reasons for, for mounting an argument for one gratitude is that the gratitude is in fact appropriate because they are, they're not taking into account things like uh, the, the personal history of the individual who is expressing gratitude or whatever. Like all you're doing is just, no. I, I think it, there are limits, right? I, I do think that, that, that there are some points where resentment or blaming somebody might be inappropriate, but I think, to a large degree, philosophers should let the people who are actually involved in the conflict work out their own conditions when gratitude would be appropriate, when resentment would be appropriate. And our theories leave no room for that whatsoever. If it makes this very, you know, abstract condition, something to do with like the person's capacities, their control. If it meets this condition and this condition, then they're definitely morally responsible and resentment or gratitude, depending on the thing, is definitely um, appropriate. That, that's, that's how these, these theories are very precise. There is no leeway to let the actual people involved come up with their own decisions about what's a relevant factor, whether this is really relevant to excusing the person or not. So the, uh, so the philosopher, I guess there's, there's a couple things that you could be saying. One is that, that, uh, that, that there is something sort of de- debauched about the need to have necessary and sufficient con- conditions, that, that there is some sort of like the, the strict criteria that we seek or that, yeah. that – And the precision the that precision we seek for them. Is yeah. wrong. But, yeah. but then there – but there's a way in which you could say, well, I'm going to do conceptual analysis on what is gratitude or what is forgiveness or what is praise. I just will uh, – I will favor theories that leave sort of more room for fuzzy categories and contribution of the subjective experience Right. Like, and but so but, but you do want to be able to say though sometimes that like somebody's just wrong like they're just yeah like so an example i give is you know somebody gets drunk and insults another person at a party uh she misunderstood what that person was saying you know whether that person's going to let them off the hook because they were drunk i feel like it's sort of up to them but they but if but if she resented the person because she was black say right. And so it was being uppity by, you know, even talking to her in the first place. Then I would say that the busybody tendency is okay at that point. Like that really is inappropriate or wrong to some degree. 
so and and it's and it's here where I get into problems because you could uh, you could certainly say well if you want to set these broad boundaries of appropriateness and right. then leave you know anything in, in between those limits in that spectrum up to the people who are actually involved well then why not just narrow the limits down but that is the very fetish that you're fighting against it's the, the narrowing down it's the, the the their their desire for you to have clear more narrow conditions that on your own yeah. theory that's like it so no their theories trying to tell me what's appropriate not me particularly and again i was one of these people i'm not just saying that to to insulate myself like i really was one of these people and i had like a come to jesus moment when uh i mean i've been having little little come to <laughs> jesus <laughs> but the big one was that restorative justice paper a lot of this kind of comes out of some of that restorative justice Fuzzy. Uh, if that's a topic we're gonna have to come back to, because I think I know, be, I know, because yeah. we fucked that episode. Well, but, no, no, but, no. but I mean, I think I thought I did a great job. I just think you fucked it up. You. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think anybody <laughs> objectively listening to that. Well, well, no, but but let me also say what I think is an even deeper moral problem than busybodiness is that I think that that the take these really complex social issues. And then by turning them into abstract theories with all these idealized assumptions, you are allowing for the real emotion of the situation, the humanness of the situation to disappear. And it all just gets kind of swallowed up in the elegance of the theory. And I think the biggest, the greatest example of this is in political philosophy. And there's this theory called luck egalitarianism. I don't know if you know about it, but it's trying to... It's trying to figure out how we can justify unequal distribution of resources and only try to make luck equal, but everything uh, according to merit is earned. And you can deserve anything that you have that's not because of luck, but it's because of merit. It's because you actually deserve it. And they end up with these kind of I- unbelievably idealized and completely empirically false assumptions of, of agency. You know, like what counts as luck and what doesn't assumes right. this kind of this this kind of agent that whose autonomy would make Kant say, oh, hey, you got to calm down. We're not that, <laughs> you know, and, and, and they have all these theories and they have graphs. I mean, I swear to God, they, right. the guy, there's a guy that comes to our thing with a dessert graph <laughs> where he comes in and he and, and he, it's like a mathematical formula that can tell you how much like well-being increase you deserve based on the sort of virtuousness or viciousness of your act. It's it, and it's, you know, it's like some sort of, I don't know, uh, formula with a calculus. And if something seems counterintuitive, he's like, hey, it's on the graph, so, you know? <laughs> so why do you, God. why do you think – That's busybodiness to an extreme. So, yeah, I'm curious as to the roots of this because – so as I think we were talking about in, in the last episode, uh, is this because there is a history of formalism in, in trying to narrow down concepts into some manipulable, manipulable constructs like, like basic logic – so is it the same is it the same illness that makes people use p's and q's and and crazy formal notations to make philosophical arguments is it a, a desire to be logical no. and mathematical I think that it's that it's a desire I honestly like if I was trying to figure out the sociology of this it 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 would be tough I think there's a residue of christianity you know like or the judeo christian oh, yeah. tradition Blame it on the that Christians. comes from it <laughs> cuz well, they're I, so I, rigorous I, I, <laughs> 
I threw in the juice. Too. <laughs> no, I mean, look at the Talmud is all about these laws of, you know, like interpretation. Right. Maybe, maybe, maybe we're more at fault than the Christians, although that would be hard to believe. <laughs> the, the, just on general principle, I, I think it also has to do with trying to keep, you know, especially the development of this in the 20th century where it got worse, just trying to separate, like defend the relevance of our field yeah. against the There's something scientists. that seems, yeah, it seems like it's, it's sort of a, we're just as rigorous as science or maybe math right yeah exactly uh, or math yeah. uh and that's uh that's always been the, if, since plato that was the goal right is right. to reduce human morality to and, and this isn't true of all of philosophy right and you don't even have to go to carol gilligan and virginia held right hume david right. hume would have none of this i mean he was essentially making a, a lot of the same points that i that i've just been making but in in more eloquent, you know, Scottish Enlightenment. Yeah, wasn't he like prose. 17 when he wrote like a treatise on human nature? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but think about it. So, so just getting back to my point about how this can actually have some really deleterious, did I just say deleterious, <laughs> uh, <laughs> effects. The principles of distributive justice to get reduced to these abstract categories based on these, and these theories that are operating under this I- idealized assumptions that have nothing to do with the actual reality of human beings and their struggles and their feelings and their needs and their desires and all of that. And it's just, you know, it can end up justifying a lot of shit that if we didn't have some theory that could tell us this was okay, we might not feel so good about. We might actually allow our empathy to get triggered. Do you think that, uh, that do you think that that's, that's a danger of, um, you know, so there's a certain amount of abstraction that you have to have, like that's the whole point, right? So you're trying to find some sort of generalities from a bunch of, in some cases, say in moral philosophy, from some specific intuitions that you have, right? You don't, you don't just want a list of intuitions. You, you want to have right. some sort of systematic framework. And I think you're pointing to the fact that like when it gets too abstract, you lose some of the, the, the you lose the humanity. Right. And and I, I feel like that may be one of the, one of the issues I've always had with utilitarianism, um, which is that there is, it's not that the maxims of utilitarianism might not be true and they might not actually guide human action in the right kind of way. It's that there is something fearful to me about relying on, on, such a fundamental abstract equation for like maximizing happiness that you might lose out on you, you you might be turning off your your sense of humanity in in the process and you might actually lose sight of cuz you know there's they're going to be imperfect no matter how I mean that's the whole thing with the guy with the rape thing right i mean he's right. essentially saying no harm no harm done right, yeah, yeah no i did the math like he's like i did the math yeah. it's okay. hey guys guys it's okay to rape women when they're drunk right. i did the well, math look, i have i have a proof on the on the on the, on the board right <laughs> over here you know that's a <laughs> But that's what we do. Like, we do that all the time. It's not as farcical and as obvious as that. But I, I think that that's just our approach. And it's not the people. They're good people. Everyone I know who does this kind of stuff, including the earlier me, was a good person. It's just that the, 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 the approach, the whole methodology begs for this. Well, and I think that uh, what it does – counterexample of like some sort of neuroscient, evil neuroscientist implanting a chip in your brain, you know, and that's, you know, that leads you to revise your theory – in a certain way about actual real issues and real people who 
it's a problem. I think this is a deep problem with philosophy that we haven't kind of figured out. There have been people like Rorty who have been trying to protest it, you know, and have done it kind of well, but then just get sort of forgotten because the mainstream of academic philosophy is all about these theories. Well, and I think that one one of the ways that it's... Conceptual analysis. Yeah. Well, one of the ways that it's kept itself going this way is by not coming back down to the level of actual, like actual humans. Right. So you sort of pop up a level of abstraction and then you can have all kinds of academic debates about those various those like those concepts and those those right. formulas. And then you never really need to come back down because when somebody says like, well, I know a guy who got like sort of brutally attacked, but he doesn't remember it. And so was it. and right. then they're like, well, we're not talking about those specific cases. Like, granted, like reality is messy. Like you could just say, look, like right. I know reality is messy. What right. I'm talking about. And, and we're, you know, even as a psychologist who's who's done some philosophy on the side as an amateur. Um, I'm all, it's already been super well-trained into me that when I bring up like the trolley cases, everybody's immediate objection is like, why don't you try to do this? Why don't you try to do that? I'm like, no, no, just posit that this is the case. Like, you know, know. like let's live in this realm of abstraction. I don't care that there was this case in 1963 where a fat guy really did stop a train. Like that's completely irrelevant to me. (laughs) We were saying before about how philosophers want to defend their turf. If they really get involved in the messiness of it, then they're just nonfiction writers right. or novelists or something, but with no rigor, with no real discipline. Right. And so you try to make yourself like the scientist, but then you are not actually doing the science. There needs to be an equivalent of, because in psychology, you know, say, say like in social psychology where we do these live experiments and, and we very much have these antiseptic laboratory experiments where we try to tightly control all the variables. And so we have to rely on some of these very fundamental assumptions about you know isolating variables and, and hope that it applies. But then we have – so that's what we do and we're, we're trying to figure out some truths about the mind. Um, but it leads me to be very reluctant to, to make any conclusions about actual, actual reality because I just don't know. Um, but in psychology, we have clinicians. And I wonder if there is like an equivalent – of a clinician for philosophers, like the people who will take these concepts and go into like into the community or whatever. Well, there are philosophical counselors. <laughs> what is that? that? That's just something that exists. I feel like that's maybe your your calling. Your <laughs> I know. I feel your pain. I'll be like the Clinton of philosophers. You can be like. Do they say things like, "Oh, you know, I know the noumena is difficult to grasp. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's stick with the phenomena." <laughs> For now. <laughs> it's not that you're not smart enough to understand the Newman. <laughs> you're really smart. You're special. You're all special. Uh, Everyone is special. All right. All right. Uh, what's your number one? I've talked enough so about y- that. Yeah. I think you convinced me a little bit even. Um, oh, nice. I was going to rigorously defend the formalism of P's and Q's. Um <laughs> So, mine, you know, I didn't properly rank mine, so I can't really say that this is my top, top annoyance, but there's a family of things that, that I, are all related, um, that as I was trying to come up with, with what, what this number one would be, I found myself not knowing exactly wh- how to say it, but here's one way of saying it. We love effects. For every... Every issue of, of, especially a social psychology journal, there's a new effect 
there's like the the bystander effect and there's the whatever effect i mean i even submitted a paper that just had that in the title the so-and-so effect i'm not gonna i'm not gonna jinx what was the effect i'm not gonna jinx the publication (laughs) but yeah it, it was this this sort of uh i think that a part of it is this desire to contribute a new thing and so what we have is like a proliferation of of phenomena, like of just demonstrations of some quirk of human reasoning or judgment or behavior um, that we can put a name, a cute name to it and then say that it's our finding. And so, oh yeah, he's the guy, you know, like I actually to give an example of some really good work in this area is my, my colleague, Tom Gilovich, who's, who has more effects name after probably his papers than most people, but like, it's the spotlight effect, right? It's like, Oh, right. Wait, right. That That's kind the of, one where you sort of feel like everybody's looking at you. Exactly. And, even though like nobody gives a shit, like you're like, Oh right. my God, everybody sees that, you know, I'm wearing a weird shirt today, but like, I, that, uh, that, I, I suffer from that. I yeah, think yeah. I always think I'm the subject of some like reality TV show. That, like, <laughs> you're like the Truman show. Like, exactly. <laughs> you are, it's just that the ratings suck and they might cancel you any minute. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, no, I know. And the, and the thing is, like, a lot of these are true. So it's not that I don't believe the, the effects. It's that it it betrays – There's there's I, I think that, that it's a symptom of a general lack of sort of good theoretical and conceptual work. So it's kind of the opposite problem. Like, I think that as social psychologists, we, we sometimes don't – bother too much to try to fit these things into a more general theory and we just we're rewarded for publishing these various effects without actually taking the time to see if there is a more general underlying cause of all and sometimes even it's the same thing getting published under different names because it was like a slightly different study which is at least a replication then it is a replicate (laughs) right <laughs> That's true. Which is another problem you people could raise about your field. Well, you know, I'll give but, you an yeah. example from since you say I'm always kissing Dan Ariely's ass. He and Mike Norton have this great this great paper called the IKEA effect. Essentially, it's arguing that when you put in when you put in work, your own labor into a product, you end up like liking that product more. So right. it's like there's something about the difficulty of putting together IKEA furniture that makes you value that that end product more than if you had just paid someone to do it. Um, but I actually think that this is just a, a, a special case of like cognitive dissonance, it, which was a theory that predicted this sort of overjustification findings in like 1950. But you know, they mentioned this in the paper. But it's not going to get anywhere near. If they had, if they had published this paper by saying a special case of cognitive dissonance, you know, right. in overjustification as applied to the consumer choice in furniture, or like right. there, nobody would have cared. But no, it's, yeah. in fact, IKEA. That's such a perfect example too. If they had said the model airplane effect, or something like <laughs> yeah, that, I know nobody would have given a shit. But the IKEA effect is so perfect. It's yeah. like, and it, we it does. All have that's had another that experience. Yeah, that's another yeah. thing. As I was pondering the things that annoy me, like one of them is cute titles. And I think that this is – it's sort of related. I think that there is some something similar to the desire to use cute titles and label our own effects and sort of ignore the conceptual work that we should be doing to like tie some of this stuff together into a more general theoretical Theory. account. Yeah. Oh, so you think it's end up making you more fragmented than you should be. Yeah, I think that, we, that we're more likely to, to do things like reinvent the wheel. Um, because of this. And part of this is social pressure to have an effect, like to have something cute and with your name on it, right? Well, think oh, of the Nob effect in the philosophy. No, the Nob effect, right? And and the yeah. Nob effect, which, which you know, we love Josh. We, we actually really need to get Josh on. We're going to get Josh here, on right? here, yeah. That'll um, be a great episode. 
Yeah, uh, but yeah, the nob effect or the, the side effect effect, which is probably you know it's probably a more general, a more specific case of some some sort of general thing. But yeah, I mean that's I wish I had an effect. I wish I had a bizarre effect. Like so, you know, I'm not I'm I'm not gonna hate on that, right? I wish I had coined the IKEA effect. But yeah. but there's something wrong about me wishing that because because <laughs> you should just be trying I should to be just, get at the truth in the most humble, exactly, modest way. And possible. I feel like that's yeah. yeah, that's how I justify my general mediocrity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just because I'm not trying to <laughs> have right. some cool effect. I am a linear. purist, my friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the same time, like you've done some of the funniest, coolest studies. But but you just haven't named an effect after that. Yeah, yeah. That's should, been your problem. I, I really should, should have. <laughs> you should just hire someone, like a writer. You know, like, like they get somebody to like touch up the script. You <laughs> like, should just hire like a Dan, whoever Dan Ariely uh, student to write my headlines. Like yeah, you know, like yeah. in newspapers they have headline writers. Like journalists yeah. in general don't write their own headlines. This is good. We need a change. And then, but see, this is where it'll slip. It'll be like we need a change in this title and the way you word this and in this part of the last paragraph. Then we're also going to need a little bit of a shift in the data. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe you shouldn't report study two because it kind of contradicts the title. <laughs> it kind of contradicts the title, right? But I do like, you know, some of my favorite papers are like with, with Yoel Imbar and Paul Bloom, right? Yoel was first. And it's just simply conservatives are more easily disgusted. Like, that's it. It's just describing the finding. And yeah, ma- maybe that, we should have named it I, like the, the icky factor, like, you know, or something. Stupid. That is not a good example of a <laughs> boring title. No, that's, that's a true. title. That's an attention hog title. <laughs> that's a, that's the title of the guy in the front of the class who's always putting his hand up and wants to get called on all the time and well, show you know, how smart he is. If you don't like it, then blame you, Ellen and Paul Bloom, because I'm just, I'm just, you a, wanted to I'm just a humble scientist. I, I actually what, think that, is that, that it? no, I was going to say, I was going to really the thing you hate the most. Oh, no, because you say you didn't put them in. It wasn't really. It was. I mean, I think that it's a deep problem. I think that it that it's um, that it's all this stuff related is making us in general progress less less quickly than than we probably progress in to. what sense? Like, progress in it... that in that it, it's um, it's causing people to publish cute findings at at, at the expense of making sort of a, an attempt at, at tying it into both work that's been done before it and and just in general building theories. There's just this more journals and more publications and more pressure to publish these like one-off findings that may not be replicable um, and that nobody's really right. going to try to bother replicating because they're in search of their own effect. Their own right? new effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's just one. Look, I, yeah. I remember you said something to me a long time ago, which is everyone's trying to publish the cool counterintuitive finding. Right. And, and so – you get this sense of human beings as these completely wacky, deluded creatures when you could do a hundred experiments that just show, oh, no, that person acted in the rational or reasonable way in that situation. Yeah. And that'll never get published because who get, gives a crap? It'll yeah. never get published. You know, I have a more uh, – I will point our dear listeners to a um, – 
bloggingheads.tv ch- uh, chat that I had with Paul Bloom where we went into this a bit more in detail. Where she's like, there was good reason at the beginning to show these errors in human judgment, and uh, and be- because it says presumably it's shedding light on the mechanisms that underlie human judgment. So by showing the errors, and the analogy would be to perceptual perceptual illusions, where you know normally we see well, like I can tell that this table is a tri is a rectangle, um, but you can trick me into thinking that things are, are things that are the same size look to be a different size or and by tricking the system you can shed light on how it works and then you move into judgment and decision making and you can show these errors and at some point though that became the goal to show all the errors and then we had all of a sudden this view of human nature as being profoundly stupid and misguided and you know as as much as i love my colleagues in this field like every other popular press book that comes out in like judgment and decision making and social psychology is all about like look at the stupid errors that we make because that is the most fun thing to do i know yeah. i know and maybe they are really important maybe if you make one error in a hundred judgments like that might be like the worst it might have the worst consequence but it doesn't mean that by and large we can't fuck we can fucking do calculus for god's sake and most people are capable of fairly complex calculations that not even the most sophisticated monkey could ever do but 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 somehow like it's like oh look at how dumb and 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 unreasonable deluded how much of the research in the field is driven also by what's fun to teach trolley problems i think you know we can complain about them all we want i don't think probably either of us have ever taught an intro class without putting a a trolley problem up there because it's fun it gets the students engaged and it's a good way to kind of explain utilitarianism and kantianism right and And, oh you know what i use now is like the the john heights like incest uh incest brother uh, you know mark and we did that i use that every single semester right we did that in the juice bar yeah and somehow, yeah, the, though somehow using these examples, then like it leads people to think like, oh, look at moral moral judgment is so completely clueless. We're so yeah. irrational. And the truth is like, no, you know, like in in my everyday life, like when I'm making a judgment of like moral blame, it's a pretty reasonable process. Like, oh, you know what? That guy, that guy couldn't really help it. You know, he didn't mean to, he didn't mean to bump into me. You know, I'm, I'm calibrated. I was passed out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I didn't know until I saw the picture. I didn't, I, <laughs> <laughs> that's horrible that's horrible <laughs> that's <it>. we're gonna <laughs> lose <laughs> gonna maybe lose that it. other listener who who, dro- who dropped us because of the prison, because of the prison joke, joke. He, he decided you know what it, it, I, i'm gonna come back like on this very episode <laughs> <laughs> and this is the one he yeah, just stopped like, he just hit stop <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah. Right, are we gonna do quickly our ones of the that we hate about each other's fields? Uh, All right, let's take another break. Yeah, uh, and we'll come back. All right, welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. Let's get a couple other things out of the way. The Amazon thing. And we're not 
we're not like partially examined life where we're gonna start putting donor buttons <laughs> up there. You know, like we're not we're at the big time yet. That's right. this. So yeah, the Amazon. Uh, all you have to do is go to our page and then do whatever shopping you were gonna do, and we would get a percentage of that. And I promise that all of it will go towards the podcast. <laughs> right. I promise it for now. I mean, you know, <laughs> that all of it will go towards buying equipment and just all the stuff that we have because you get your porn for free now. Nowadays, anyway, so those, those, uh, not just me, the world, <laughs> the world, the world you know? gets its porn for free. So yeah, there's the, the, the Amazon link. Rate us on iTunes, like us on Facebook. Anything else? Yeah, send us a tweet. Send us a tweet and send us emails. Actually, that's one thing that you guys have been doing: tweets and emails. Yeah. We really enjoy it. We really appreciate it. And we we take a lot of the stuff that you say seriously because a lot of our episodes are. <laughs> have lately been because even molly crockett right was a suggestion yeah, from a was. listener it's true that is true and uh, i think uh, we're gonna get get paul bloom we'll try our best to get paul because of an email that we got um yeah uh, yeah so we re- really at this point we're just out of ideas i mean <laughs> <laughs> exactly. why don't they just do their own podcast at this point uh, yeah <laughs> why do they need we us sh- we should set up a number that we can have play voicemails from people <laughs> they do that on this podcast i like called film spotting it could be good i actually think our listeners might be good but they uh they would well, most of it would be in danish which is the only That's issue a, or, nor- or no no norwegian <laughs> Norwegian yeah. is its a, is its own language, right? I, I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're such a, we're the stereotypical <laughs> ignorant Americans. Number one thing I hate about psychology. Go for it. Look, I think these are going to be a lot gentler because you because both of us are sort of wannabes in the other. Field. I think so. I think that we have yeah. like far less vitriol <laughs> for each other's field than we probably should. And and the thing I, I think I used on the last episode and I was going to use on this one maybe was that uh, – w- was something we've already talked about, you know, those last paragraphs where you try to make some big claim about human nature based yeah. on testing like 58 right. undergraduates you can, at yeah, UCAL You can't take Irvine it seriously. Or yeah, like nobody that. should but, ever take those seriously. But if I'm being honest myself, I actually kind of like <laughs> like those things. <laughs> I don't hate that about psychology. You only so read that part. it's kind of what's fun, like uh, social psychology, yeah. Yeah, right. It's not like I'm, I, I don't know what to make of the data. Oh, wait, that's not statistically <laughs> significant. Or like, wait, the p value. You didn't control for the clustered effects. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about the noise? Uh, the only thing I know is null result. I know you're not supposed to, <laughs> to do interpret. too much with the null result. <laughs> so I'm going to say that what I actually hate about psychology, or not, or not hate, but but don't like, is when you guys start doing all the stuff I hate about philosophy, which is conceptual analysis. Oh, right? really? So so I'm, si- I'm sitting here saying we should do more of it, but you're, you're annoyed because it's bad. Well, no. So, oh, you mean like you guys should do more theory construction? It depends what it is, right? And I really hope to have Tanya Lombroso on. Like, like I think that some of the stuff that she does on causation might be an example of this. Uh, yeah. Some of the stuff, I mean, all the people whose work I, I really love, I think sometimes slip into this trying to narrow down what human beings mean by a certain word, what the category of that word is, and when they use it, and when they don't. And, then, and, and, and do what I hate philosophers do in that process, which is you know, try to reduce a complex phenomenon into 
abstract categories of condition necessary and sufficient conditions. I mean, you guys do it. Social psychology does conceptual analysis right some of the time it's not all putting dimes in phone booths and seeing whether you pick up a uh, paper whether there was a dime there right or or prison experiments or shocking people and all that right. like there's some there's a good amount of conceptual analysis that social psychology does and i think that's just a bad habit they probably picked up from us uh, yeah i just think that they i think that they should well, I, I think that maybe we're talking about two different things. Like, I'll talk about the kind of conceptual analysis I think we need to do more of and, and maybe receive better training. And that comes from – and I think Eddie Namis has, has done a good job of pointing this out. That, like, when we talk about free will, like, sometimes oh. we're talking about, like, 18 different things and we lump right. it all together. And really, we should be yeah. better at that, right? You should be better at, like, defining, yeah, what it is that you're talking about. And, 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 and the use of moral responsibility – is this was an honorable mention for me? Is unconscionable by some. <laughs> They'll literally just throw out these words and just and then. Well, let me know, defend and, it, man. Sometimes what we mean by moral responsibility is what the average person in the street understands as moral responsibility. Yeah, and you know what the average person uh, in the street uh, understands about moral responsibility? A hundred different things. Well, you know, uh, at a hundred different a, times. Maybe you should actually take an approach where you value the human beings who are being studied and don't just live in your abstract world where you have a hundred different definitions of moral responsibility. Who are you to say what moral responsibility is or isn't? Oh, wait. Now I just sound like you at the beginning of our podcast. <laughs> There's a difference between, you know, human beings like working their own shit out and psychologists saying, like talking about one phenomenon as if it's like, crystally clarified in in every person on the street or every <laughs> well if we uh, just ask like do you think this person was morally responsible and then like a seven point scale I, have you ever done this in a class do you think this person's morally responsible it takes you 15 minutes to even say what you're talking about by that like, no think, no like, no because i don't explain it i actually am just interested in i say like scale one to seven some, were they responsible right I see. I guess so. You would be a good example of my. <laughs> and then you know what you guys do too, and I've seen you do it. I've seen you do it on this podcast. I've seen you do it elsewhere. If someone will say, "Well, how do you know that they actually mean what we're talking about, which is deserve blame or something like that?" They're like, "Oh no, we did this study where we also asked that, and there were no demonstrable effect differences between you know blameworthiness and moral response." So, so they definitely had in mind what we were talking, what we were thinking when we asked them the question. First of all, I don't buy that those studies have ever been run. But secondly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Even if they, even if they were run, you, you we would make, be arguing. We, make them from, up. <laughs> we just make Sorry. them up, like in the middle of like our conversation, <laughs> or in the middle of your study. No, I believe that uh, Nob two thousand eight demonstrated. <laughs> that, but yeah, so that's a separate issue. That that, that was a, that was an honorable mention. Uh, overall, I like when you guys get. Uh, a little less exact or just I just don't want you to focus on concepts I guess I guess maybe that's the big thing I don't want you I don't want the goal of the experiment to oh, yeah, be yeah. what people mean when they use this concept I, I feel like you're that that critique is much more about exp the sort of experimental philosophers and and 
the kinds of social psychologists that hang out with experimental philosophers and much less social psychology. Cause in some ways you're saying two very different things, which is on the one hand, we get all fucking fetishy about concepts and we say like, Oh, this is what people mean by cause or knowledge or whatever. On the other hand, you're saying like, you guys didn't even bother to tease apart moral responsibility in your, you know, and it's like, well, you can't have it fucking both ways, man. Either we're going to figure out what moral responsibility is and get all fetishy about it or we're not. But you can have it both ways. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> no idea what that means. <laughs> uh, okay, let me get to my... Uh, so, again, mine isn't that that vitriolic, but it does bug me because I grant that some kind, some philosophy does this because that's, that's just what they do. Um, but it does bug me sometimes when a philosophical argument turns on what it was that Kant actually meant when he said this or what it was that Aristotle actually meant. And so when, say, when we're interpreting, when we're trying to unpack a concept, people say, no, no, you've misinterpreted. Kant actually did make this point. And it's like, well, I don't really give a fuck what Kant meant or what he didn't. What I want to know is whether this is the right view or not. Right? And I, I mean, I just have come across this in a paper that I was reading where it was like the people who criticize virtue ethics have misunderstood Aristotle because Aristotle actually accounted for this. And it's like, I don't care what I don't. I mean, are we doing history? Like, are we just right. trying to find the truth? Right. There's yeah. a bleeding in. So the issue isn't that there are people trying to interpret Aristotle and Hume and Kant and all those people. You don't mind that there are scholars. No, no, no. Right. I feel like those are historians and like exegesis is like an important sort of tool on its own, but it's not very convincing. Suppose that, you know, when I say like virtue ethics doesn't seem like the right idea and it doesn't, to me, it doesn't mean that much when you say like, actually Aristotle never meant that. Well, like, okay, well then I, all I mean is then what I mean by virtue ethics, which I take it that a lot of other people mean. You know, often what you're saying is like when you said virtue ethics is mistaken because look at these situationist results or whatever, you know, if virtue ethics is being painted out as a caricature, then one of the things that might show you that this is more of a straw man attack, that this is more of a caricature, an attack on a caricature than the real thing is by showing that that of the big virtue ethicists actually didn't believe that and wouldn't be vulnerable to this kind of attack. In that sense, it might be valuable because you are defending not just Aristotle, but the, the approach itself. Right, right. It would be nice to live in a world where the approach was separable from the things that that person said, because I do feel that sometimes like Kant, you can just find the sort of classic in, like intro to philosophy view of Kant's, Kant's take on lying. Right. There are people who are like, actually, Kant didn't really mean that. And so they'll point to another passage. Well, I mean, it's separate also when it's Kant, because there's no excuse for defending Kant. (laughs) His views on masturbation have really influenced me. (laughs) (laughs) The other way. Yeah. It's like ironic effects. (laughs) So Kant, uh, right. (laughs) The Kant's view on masturbation for our listening audience was that you shouldn't do it. It was against you were, you're using our uh, you're using yourself as a mere means. <laughs> Although, as I think we might have mentioned, it's not a mere means, right? It's I mean, not. such an end in itself. But I can it actually system. show you a chart proving that my right. utility is maximized. <laughs> you have a graph, and therefore like, separated by site by website. So there's <laughs> therefore one ought to. 
RedTube.com, uJiz.com. <laughs> do, like, like do you think that? Do you think those are are those real websites? Do you think that uh, singers' <laughs> utilitarianism might require? What are you scribbling down? <laughs> do you think that singers' utilitarianism might require daily masturbation? Y- yes. <laughs> let's let's I mean, ask. Think, <laughs> it requires that you send most of your money. Uh, to Oxfam, and then uh, and, uh, when you're done doing that, you rub one you out. Just jerk off. Yeah, yeah, you rub one out. So. All right, maybe we should end on that, on that end. note. Categorical. Because we know what we need to do next, and, it's, and I already donated to Oxfam. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I think this was uh, one of our least classy episodes. We probably, need, probably, might need, probably might need some of that just to separate ourselves from the partially examined life. Those fucks. <laughs> You're so you're, you're gonna so bitter. You're just gonna email them something nice and like be a guest on their show, aren't you? <laughs> One day we'll have a donor button, right? Uh, <laughs> All right, join us next time with Molly Crockett. Just a very bad wizard.